it's Trish and Heather here and we're home design coaches and founders of The Scribble Club. The Scribble Club is an online community for people who like design, healthy and functional homes and are looking for creative inspiration from professional designers. Welcome to the Sketchy Ladies podcast, which is a mix of design and building advice from inside the industry. You'll get simple tips and tricks to help you overcome your design challenges with creative solutions. You'll learn how to create the spaces you've always dreamed of but never had the confidence to design. We value beautiful, functional, healthy homes and that's what we're here to help you discover. As qualified designers and busy mums, we understand how your health, sanity and wellbeing can benefit from a well-designed home. There is no need to settle for second best. Each week you'll get some tips and tricks to help improve the spaces inside and outside your home. Make sure you subscribe to the Sketchy Ladies podcast and this way you won't miss an episode. You can find the links to all the episodes and other goodies at thescribbleclub.com forward slash podcast. The Sketchy Ladies podcast is here to help you create your dream home. Let's make it happen. Welcome to episode 24 of the Sketchy Ladies podcast with Trish and Heather. Today we'll be discussing L in our first flip formula, which is all about lending with a property investment money partner. That can come in lots of forms and that's something that we're going to be discussing in a little bit more in depth today with Heather. Heather's got a lot of experience. So L, lend with a property investment money partner. Heather, let's dive straight into it. So a property investment money partner can be many things. It can be a bank, it can be a broker, it can be an individual. I have been on both sides of it. I've lent money and I've been the borrower and also the funder. In terms of being a money partner, what we would expect as a money partner is that you would get a return that's better than the bank. If I'm lending money to somebody, I want to make sure that I'm getting a good return and doing a house flip or a property investment is a great way to do that because there's a potential for upside. And getting a money investment partner is often easier than one would think. We have to jump through a lot of hoops when we go to the bank or a broker and show all of our pay slips and do all that sort of thing. But there are lots of people that are independently wealthy. Obviously, you'd want a legal agreement, but what they're looking for is simply a return on their money. So they want their money to do better than it would if it was in a bank or another investment like shares. And property is a great way to do that. If we're improving a property, then there's obviously the upside of taking it from the base price, what we bought it for to potentially a lot more for when we sell it. And so a property investment money partner will be in that deal for a period of time. So it might be six months, it might be 12 months, it might be three months. And they're doing really effectively what a bank would do is a bridging finance for somebody that's then wanting to on-sell a property. Trish, in your experience, you've lent money from the bank and brokers. How was the experience? We've lent money from directly from our bank provider and we found that probably a little bit harder because they've only got what they've got to offer and they've got the only their rules to play by and that's where we've probably found the broker option has been more flexible and they can sort of have a broader range of borrowing power in the sense of where they can borrow the money from and we've ended up with better results in the sense that our money's not all tied up between all of the properties. They've been able to bit separate them, which I think just gives us that extra flexibility for what our next steps were. The two main ones that we've been involved with, I haven't ever invested with a private money investor, but I find that a really intriguing process. And it's what you can dive into us for today is the, the protection of both the lender and the borrower, how that works in, in the contractual side of things as well. 
So there's lots of keys to successfully doing a money partner arrangement, but the critical one is that there's a form of agreement. So some sort of legal agreement and that legal agreement is as binding as an agreement would be with a bank per se, but there it is high risk, obviously, because you're dealing with an individual. But you do really want to know the person that you're lending the money to or borrowing the money from. Never deal with family, they say, but it could be a family, a parent or something along those lines. Often with young people, they have to go as the guarantor to the bank anyway. So it's just a way of bypassing the bank and being a guarantor to the loan. Also, if you've got wealthy friends or acquaintances that are looking for investments, men are a lot better at doing this than women. So often the golf club or the gym fellows will get together in a consortium and buy a commercial building or buy a property in a unit trust so that can break down into small pieces. They're a lot better at networking. Females don't tend to talk about money and we don't tend to think about the concept of lending each other money. But there are lots of wildly wealthy women who like to support other women in their interests. And so a simple property agreement or a simple financial agreement has all the bits and pieces that you need. So it tells you what the return's going to be over a period of time and then also who owns the title. And this is really important. So usually a money investment partner doesn't own the title. And that's a really important differentiation between if you're borrowing from the bank, well, the bank actually owns a title. You think you own the title, but all you're doing is paying the money off over time until you've paid it off and then you own the title. So technically the bank has hold of that title, even though it's in your name. And that's what they call security. And there's another word called cross-collateralization, which they love, which means if you've got more than one property, if you've got your home and you're looking at investment property, what they try and do is tie those two together to make it safer for them. So if you have issues with your renovation, then they can come back and call for your home. And so that makes it really safe for the bank, but not great if you're an investor. And so that's why with a property investment partner, that can be totally separate to your own residence as well, which is one of the other advantages. So the idea is, for example, if I'm lending you money, you would go out and source a property, source a deal, put it all together, come back to me and say, Heather, I'm wanting to loan $200,000 for the course of 12 months. I look at the deal, look at the return. Yep, I agree to all of that. So we sign an agreement whereby I've effectively just lent you the money on a percentage return. So say the bank's giving you 4%, the deal might be 6 7 8 9% depending on what the deal is. And you use that money to do the improvements on the property with the view to then selling it in 12 months. And I just get a return on the money. The other way to do it, you can split the profit once you've done the renovation, there are deals like that, but they're more complicated. So it's a lot, lot easier for a money investment partner just to get a simple return. So at the end of it, other ones that I've done, we've loaned money after the deal was settled. They just paid us for the percentage based on the number of days we lent the money. And so we got our initial amount back plus the profit amount. And the person did really, really well because they did a fantastic renovation. They went to auction. They got another 100000 above what they're after. So they got to pocket all of that. So if you own the title, you control the amount that you get back in terms of profit. But the flip side of that is if you don't do a good job and you don't get the amount you, you need, you still got to return the money to the property investment money partner. There is a risk that if things go south and you don't do a good job on the renovation or you don't complete it, you still own the money partner, that money in the course of time. So as we said, there are risks with it, but the keys to success is that many people are time poor. <laughs> Wealthy people, they've worked hard to get their money, they're time poor. So they're just looking to make their money work harder. 
they have money into invest and they don't necessarily have the skills or the knowledge to flip a house. That's also a good thing that if you've got the skills and background, then they're more, if you've got one on the board that you can show them, this is a deal I've done before. This is the quality of the renovation. It takes a lot of the fear factor out because they can see you've done it before. You've got experience. They're just looking for a return on the investment that's higher than the bank. And as I said, it's good to have a rapport and knowledge with that person so that you know who you're investing with and obviously have that legal agreement that sets out the terms and conditions between all parties just to make sure that everyone's protected. We all know what the risks are in terms of there could be something catastrophic happens with the house, you find all these issues, it's going to cost you more to renovate. But the other things outside of that could be things like a change in circumstance for the money partner. So say they were married and they had a death in the family or they had a separation, then that can also change the parameters and timing of that sort of thing. That's why it's important to lock in a time because you don't need to be halfway through a a renovation and have the investment partner suddenly need the money desperately. Mm. (laughs) They're the sorts of outside factors that we've got to think. And also if there's unexpected delays or surprise costs, you open up a wall, all the plumbing's wrecked. That's actually happening on a project that I'm a money partner in at the moment when they went through the plumbing all of the pipes are corroded, so they've had to replace a lot more plumbing, which has also affected the just the time on the project, but they're still com- confident that they will feel it finished within a time. The other thing that we look at in a money partner agreement is a duration that's a bit flexible. So you might say, look, we hope to finish in three months, but we'll write six months in the contract just to give us some wriggle room. And that's really important too, because we all know in construction, we think doing a renovation is a straight line process, but it's not. It's ups and downs. Fish, you can just give us a little bit of background about renovating and your experience with the banks. Did you have to do down payments or prepayments or anything? Yeah, I suppose it comes down to what you're using the money for. So where you're just purchasing the property and then there's your construction loans, which normally you run concurrently or separately to your actual purchase of the property loans. So they might be tied together still, but they're, they're different values or different accounts when you look at them online. So the main thing we found is that because you when you're dealing with a builder directly and you've got a contract in place the bank needs that in regards to the down payments at the initial installment and then each stage has the different payments installments the interesting thing i found in regards to construction loans we've had a couple now is that you you are paying a lower interest rate through that construction on that construction loan which is nice it helps you through that time you haven't got any income or reduce income from the property if it's a renovation or a flip or a, a, a rental property so that that's something that i find interesting is navigating there's the risk with a a money partner, a private money investor, that you're not going to be able to give them the investment back or the return on the investment. And then there's that downtime that you have with the bank where you're not actually getting any income off. You're actually paying interest. You're actually costing you while the the building's not doing any work for you. So that's a bit of a a toss-up, isn't it? It's a hard one to navigate. Something I'd be interested to know a little bit too about is with money investors, if you have... More than one investor. You talked about a, a project that you're working on. It's only only two hundred thousand. Like that doesn't seem like enough, because then there's also the actual renovation costs. And to buy a property, normally two hundred thousand would be a pretty small one, and it might be out the back of the sticks. So I, I'd be interested to know how how you potentially bring in a combination. Is it a combination of bank, a private investor, or multiple investors? It depends what you're looking at. That particular project is 
a self-funded venture. It's a lady that's done successive flips. And so she had three quarters of the money to buy the project, but needed the other quarter and some towards the renovation. She was seeking other alternate funding for the renovation. So again, you might have one loan, as you said, for the purchase and some alternate loan for doing the refurb. And often if people are getting a bit tight for money, it might come in the form of a personal loan. It might not necessarily be a construction loan. So it, there are other ways that you can deal with that short-term money. But I think the key to it all is that it was just, if you just think about it as a lump sum of money in a group of people. The other way that I have lent money and been involved in projects in a commercial sense is that we have a consortium, so a group of people. And we have a unit trust and that allows us to put in a given amount of money. So everybody's sharing the risk effectively. And that in that case, in most cases, it's a combination of the bank lending you a proportion, but then you taking a proportion of the risk. In every money deal, there's always risk and reward. And with the bank, they want to make sure that they're very well covered. In that scenario, uh, again, the bank holds a title and you pay off the loan. So again, there was a loan for purchase, some in construction. But over time, as we've sold portions of that building, that gets paid down till we'll have no loan. And then it'll all be just cash flow coming straight in, in the proportion that you've lent the money. I think that's a really important thing. It's not often that a money investment partner will lend 100% or 100% of the buy and the reno because there's no skin in the game for the person doing the flip or the turnover. So I think if you're going into it, it's a good thing to think about, well, I should have probably the amount of a deposit that I wouldn't want on a property or at least something that makes it far more than just a token gesture. It could be a bit concerning to an investment partner if you're not putting anything in, in a straight commercial sense, because if you go to the bank, they want 20% deposit. So it's probably a good rule of thumb to think of if you are looking at a property and, and what value that property is. And the other thing is, we're probably not looking at high-end properties in the middle of cities. We're not looking mm. at the, you know, $2 million plus type mark, although we could be. That will tend to be somebody that's just independently wealthy and probably doesn't need the loan. <laughs> you know, if they can afford a four or $5 million house, it's probably spare change for them. What we're looking at is the lower end of the market, not the very low end, but the sort of median price of the market. In capital cities, that's in the order of a million dollars now. Unfortunately, it's got it's crept right up, but I think over time that'll drop down. So say, for example, you're looking at a property that you know you can get a really good upturn on, you might be able to buy it. And we want to be buying a little bit under market value. So say we're buying it for $850,900, but we can then resell it for $1.2, $1.3 with probably only spending maybe 100000 on it. They're the sort of numbers we're talking about. You've got to have enough profit in the deal to make profit for you and for the money investment partners. The profit's actually made when you buy it, not when you as much as when you sell it, because you need to be finding the right property and getting it kind of under market value. That's a really important thing as well, that we're not just jumping into any property and going, oh, I can buy it, do a bit of reno and sell it for much more. It's far more specific than that. And that's why we're putting together our first flip formula course at the moment because that's going to be a valuable tool for everybody and can't wait that we're launching that in November that'll be a great way for people to follow through the whole process because we know from industry you can make lots of mistakes and this is very much tailored to finding the right property and I know from personal experience finding the right property can be difficult there's lots of criteria that we need to fulfill it's not always as straightforward as just walking down the street seeing a for sale sign and saying yep that's the property I want to buy it's way more strategic there's way more 
checks and balances that go into it. And I think if you show that due diligence to a money partner as well, look, I've looked at 30 houses before I got to this one. This is the one that stacks up. This is the deal. And mostly if you are dealing with an investment part and part of the first flip formula, we'll have a guide as to how you'll do that. I've seen plenty of prospects come across your desk and they can simply be emailed with people saying, hey, I've got a great deal, but I can't quite afford all of it. Are you interested in putting some money in? And the other thing you were talking about too is that one or two people. I've been in projects where it could be three people. I don't know personally, but what happens is I know the person doing it. They've known other people and it's almost like crowdfunding. It's a lot easier way to get a return on your money, particularly if you're starting out. Say you might almost have a deposit but not quite. You might be able to invest for six or 12 months with somebody else that's doing a flip, get that return, and then have the confidence and go through the process. Then you're confident to do your own. So a lot of it too is about confidence in knowing what the risks are, knowing how to do it rather than just buying a house that's already pre-done. But obviously you're paying the premium for that and you're going to be paying the bank back for the next 30 years. So it's just an alternate way of looking. The speed is what is good about the flip in that you can turn it over in six to 12 months, depending on what your position is. Tax-wise, it might be better to have it for 12 months, but that's relatively short compared to a forever home, which is 25, 30 years. A lot of things that we're looking at is the actual money partner as well. And knowing, like you've mentioned, knowing that person you were investing with or who's putting the money in, you've touched base on some of the things like having some skin in the game or having some rungs on the board. This is all the sayings coming together here. <laughs> skin in the game is that you've, you've already put yourself in there into a part of it. You've got to be your own investment into it. And the rungs on the border is a portfolio or some other examples of projects that you've completed. Is there anything else other than the legal agreements or the terms and conditions behind it? Any other things that we should be considering, like what trades we're bringing into it or when we're presenting to someone, to a money partner, what sort of things do you want to see from the person that's requesting that assistance? Really very limited details. The budget that we would put together for a renovation, I personally would like to see that, is because I can look at it and go, oh, you've allowed 6000 for a bathroom. I know that's going to be not enough. And in the current project that I was alluding to with the plumbing, they actually gave me a breakdown of budget and I said, oh, that seems way too cheap for a bathroom. As it turns out, her husband was a supplier of bathroom products and fittings and fixtures so she was getting them all at cost and so that effectively made a $30,000 bathroom a $15,000 bathroom but Mm. as a money partner you can be savvy with what you're looking at but other people uh, often aren't that savvy with construction but they want you want to know that you either have somebody that's helping you a project manager or somebody with skills like ourselves. And this is why we're doing the first fleet formula so that we can shadow somebody and say, look, under the parameters of the course, this is what we've been taught. This is how we put together. We've got guidance of experienced professionals so that even though if it's your first flip, you've still got us we have had 25 odd years experience in the game to be able to go, okay, well, these are the things you've got to look out for. This is a realistic budget. I think one of the biggest problems is people going in with rose-coloured glasses saying everything will cost nothing and then winding up going 50% over budget at the other end. If you do that, you won't make any profit. It's very, very clear that you've got to make a budget and have that in place. And the money investment partner, what they'll be looking at, essentially the price you're buying for the closing costs, so how much it is to pay all the stamp duties, things like that, then what you've allowed for your renovation and what you're renovating, what we call a scope of works. Are you doing kitchen and a bathroom? Are you doing just carpet and what purpose? So we know that doing a kitchen and a bathroom will get you a better resale value 
But if that's above your skill level and you're wanting to turn something over really quickly, if you're just taking a really dirty, disgusting house, cleaning it up, painting it, putting in new floor coverings, new window furnishings, you can get a good upturn just in that alone, but you've just got to check that there's going to be enough profit at the other end to do it. So then you've also got to look at what your closing costs will be to sell it. You've obviously got to get a real estate agent to go to auction or go to market. There'll be some legal costs and then what your projected sales price is. And in just about every portfolio I've seen or dossier that they're giving to you to look at for funding, they'll have examples of comparable sales. And the reason that that's important is I don't know the area. The first area I invested in was actually in Sunshine in Melbourne. Had no clue what that suburb just had a good vibe with the person who was actually retired builder and doing it himself he was just a bit short of cash and we were saying okay fine getting going in and getting low-cost properties either through deceased estate or through people that were having a difficult time so really just wanted to get out of the property but what came with that was a whole lot of baggage with all the hoarding and (laughs) people people living in that circumstances and not in a very good headspace so the properties were very derelict but only really superficially they were structurally really good Uh, And he could show me that other similar properties in that local area around the corner were selling really well with cleaned up a new bathroom. He put a new bathroom, new kitchen, new garden. His wife put a beautiful new garden in the front. The whole street appeal changed. And as I said, he ended up making $100,000 over his projected price based on his presentation. He also timed the market very well. He went, say, a month over what he thought he was going to because there was a few issues purchasing the property initially and the tenant not really leaving on time. But what happened was we had an agreement that said, okay, we know it's going to overrun a little bit, but that just happened to get the market at the right time. So he got a much bigger uplift than he may have even six, eight weeks prior to that. So you can get lucky, but you've just got to be careful of the risk too and be aware that if it does go south, you still owe that money much as you would with a bank too. That's why we're saying you've got to be so careful going in and being really follow a system and follow a process so that you know the outcome before you start. If you don't know the outcome, if you don't know the exit strategy, then really you're doing your dough and nobody's going to invest in somebody that says, oh, I think it'll be all right. I think I'll be able to make a bit of money on it. Not going to happen. Yeah. It's all going to be facts and figures. You've touched on some really great points there. And one that I'd like to bring back up is that you talked about the gentleman that has a bathroom supply company and supplying the, like the bathroom fit out costs were cheaper. And that's something that the bank will quite diligently at when they're doing it a construction loan. They want to price it off the plans or price off what the actual specifications are or the fit out so that they can actually value off the plan so that they will only lend you in relation to the cost and return down the track. Something that we've noticed as well is that you've got to be a little bit more careful with the bank and who's actually providing the work. My husband's a cabinet maker. So if we say, you'll get the kitchen, you'll get a staff rate. It's going to be a $15,000 kitchen, but it'll be a value of $30,000. The bank won't see it like that. They need to see that what's going in there is what's going to come out and what's going to cost. Because if in the end of the day, something happened to Andrew, but they still needed someone to come in and replace that kitchen or do the kitchen. And then therefore suddenly we're paying, paying that full retail price. That's something that banks are a little bit more diligent over we found in our experience and where a property money partner might not be so concerned by that in in the examples that you've given possibly although I would always want a budget that is priced at market as you said Mm. in that particular circumstance she gave us examples in the last two to three houses that she'd done and the other thing that's really good to have in 
that initial proposal is here's one we prepared earlier, a sample of something done before. But if you haven't got that, what we can do is say, well, here's a similar one with a similar budget. And that's where we've got experience in that sort of thing where we can say, yes, that's a realistic budget for this quality of finish. Because what you also want to see is that you're not over pitching the market. You don't need to put a luxe bathroom in when we were in sunshine in Melbourne, which was one of the lower socioeconomic areas. But what he did do is put a, a really nice bath, a stand, freestanding bath, Everything was white, cleaned up, beautiful fixtures and fittings and styled really nicely to sell. And so, again, you're pitching to the market of young families, want it done for them. And so he really got the right outcome for that. Whereas if he'd gone too high, not only would it cost him more money, he wouldn't have seen the return for it. I think that's also important that we're looking at what the comparable sales are saying to us. Is it a high income area with couples is it an area where there's retirees is an area where there's families there so again I did my own market research before I went into that project as well just to look at the sales because you can always fluffy up the numbers if you really want to but using realestate.com or domain.com you can go and have a look at all of the comparable sales and go, yeah, okay. So the ones that they've given seem good. They haven't just cherry picked the top end of them. It's a good consistent price across the board. It's up to the money partner to do their due diligence as well. I mean, nobody's going to throw 200,000 in at a whim. They're going to consider it as well. But the more information you can give them up front and the more transparent you are about it, then obviously the better the outcome is going to be. And I think probably people underestimate how many people are out there that are looking for that kind of side hustle investment, not just a straight, they get a bit yeah. bored. It's particularly rich people once they get a portfolio of things, they're like, <laughs> get a bit bored with, oh, I'm just getting return off that, the return off that. And they're often pushing the envelope. That's why they got rich in the first place. They're pushing the envelope for how can I get more money? Bridging finance, if you go into in commercial is like 20 odd percent, but it's highly risky and you can lose all your money. We're not talking that leverage amount we're talking the equivalent of a mum and dad type investment to be clear on that too we're not financial advisors we don't do any of that sort of thing what we're talking about is just agreements between people like-minded people to be able to let you do your first flip if you haven't got the cash to do it yourself. Obviously, I'd advise if you have, you do your first flip yourself or you lend from the bank if you can afford to, to get that under your belt so that you then got experience to show in a portfolio. But if you can't manage to do that, then there is property investment, money investment partners around. Yeah, you've really touched on a good point there that about getting that legal advice and um, in regards to the contract with property money partners as well as as the bank, talking to your tax people, especially even, again, if you are a business owner, there's a whole different set of rules again if you're self-employed. There's a few things there to touch base on, some really good points. Something that you've already brought up as well, and I think it's more of an F to find the right property, is in regards to the demographic and the area too. So it's finding a property that, that's, going to appeal to who you want to sell to so you're not going to buy a property that's got two beds two baths when you're trying to appeal to a family of five sort of thing so you're having that right angle and doing that research and that that will back up what you're pitching to your money partner as well doesn't it this is why we have the first flip formula because flip finding the right property um, invest in lending with the investment partner (laughs) 
improving it with renovation and profiting from the sale. All of that is integral together. So you need to plan that whole process from the get-go. It's not something that's just done randomly. And it's a real system and a real process. And a lot of due diligence goes in. So that's why we put it all together as a course, because to teach it individually, and yes, you can pick bits and pieces up on the podcast, but they're in isolation. What we want is for people to go right through from start to finish so that they've got the confidence and the knowledge and understand the lingo and the jargon and could I want to do this project it stacks up really well this is my proposal be really interested to hear if you would like to be part of it not so much yeah. lend me money just be part of the whole project so I think that's and we're there to, to hold their hands help a coach and guide and that's why we call it partner because a bank is a partner a broker is a partner but they're not really they're a service what we're mm. looking at is more partnerships and personal relationships that allow you to go on and repeat the process again rinse and repeat again and again and to be beneficial for both parties So again, keys to success, legal agreement, know the person that you're dealing with, get all the proposal together prior, make sure it all stacks up so that you're confident and just be careful of the risks because we know there can be unexpected delays, surprise costs, and really set out that hopefully there'll be no changes in either party's circumstances. But if there is, what's the default? That there's a default, an exit clause to allow that to happen if it really needed to happen excited to be launching our first flip course yeah it's getting exciting as professional designers that's what we've put together is our first flip formula and we're hoping that we can get people on board to help them help them go through and we're going to be doing our own property as well so that we can actually example use that as an example of that process too and guide along with you thanks for tuning into the sketchy ladies podcast next episode we are jumping into i which is improve the value by renovating we'll see you then this episode was brought to you by the scribble club our signature group coaching program and the Scribble School, the best online education and resources to help women design beautiful, functional, healthy homes. Check it out at thescribbleclub.com along with so many free resources to help you design and deliver the dream spaces in your home and get the results that you deserve. If you loved this episode, please don't keep it a secret. Share it with your friends on social media and tag us at the Scribble Club. We love hearing from our listeners and seeing your reactions to our episodes. We'd also love you to leave a review on your favourite podcast platform. Your feedback helps us grow and improve our content. It also helps other listeners find our show. Have a wonderful day. We're the sketchy ladies and we're behind you all the way.